You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. This week, we think about our search, the search for control and Jesus. We all value a bit of control, don't we? No one wants to feel out of control. We stress when things don't go according to plan. We are always looking for more control in our lives, whether it be more self-control with our diet and our exercise, our emotions or our reactions. You know, we buy books, we listen to podcasts, we fast and we do ice baths for mental clarity. Well, I don't, but some of you do. Many of us want more financial control. We want to be able to save our money or spend our money well. We want to be able to work and get money so that we can be, we can be able to do what we want to be able to do and be answerable to no one else. We want to be in control. And many of us want more lifestyle control, don't we? Isn't that the catch cry of living down on the surf coast? Lifestyle. Control your lifestyle. Work less and have the great lifestyle. Sorry, that word is everywhere. When I moved here, it was like lifestyle is like the buzzword here for sure. Anyway, but we see professionals, we listen for advice, we try new things and then we fail and then we try again and then we fail and then we try again and then we repeat and we repeat, we repeat, we repeat. As we try to balance the calendar and invest in what matters, as we think about our future, as we think about our families, we try to have fun and we try to cultivate relationships. We'd love a little bit more lifestyle control, wouldn't we? And so often we have these preconceived ideas and idealistic notions that things are supposed to be a particular way. And so we orientate ourselves towards that. And when those things don't happen, we feel lost and we feel frustrated. We feel anxious. We feel out of control. Wouldn't it be nice just to have a little bit more? What in your life are you trying to control? Where in your life would you like a little more control? Some of you, you know that you're a bit of a control freak. I'm not going to get you to raise your hands because uh, then you would feel like I'm controlling you. And you'd be like, you're not going to control me. I'm going to control myself. So, so. Fun dynamic. But some of you like, you know, your control, you're proactive and you know exactly the things that you need to do for that sweet self-sufficiency, don't you? You like that. You're into control. But that type of control is only the tip of the control iceberg, isn't it? Proactive, intentional, Gantt chart, decision-making matrix, control, the planning committings, you know, the mind that runs around to know this is the next thing we've got to do. This only encompasses just a fraction of our human search for control, doesn't it? See, what about when life gets crazy? What about when life gets chaotic? What about when the punches from Mr. Unpredictable start knocking you around? What do you do when it all hits the fan, when you're up against the ropes? Two default behaviours, isn't there? Two instinctive behaviours in this reaction, fight or flight. We don't know if we've heard of that, haven't we? Fight or flight. See, in those moments, we've had our control confronted 
and we are reacting unconsciously and we're doing that to try and find a little sense of balance again, aren't we? Fight or flight. In those moments when our sensible strategies are being shredded, we discover that there's ways that we really need to try to regain some control. We fight, we flight. Some people, they'll fight, won't they? We know some fighters, they'll step in and they'll step up and they'll step into the fog of war. They are seeking control. If I have a good offense, that'll make for a good defense. There's other ways that we can fight, isn't it? Slightly different, you know? We'll take a moment to poise themselves, make a plan, find a path. That's pursuing control, isn't it? If I have a plan, I'll be sure to make some progress. I'll be in control. And some people, they don't fight, but they'll flight, yeah? When they're overwhelmed, they'll reach for the bottle or the remote, the smoke or a donut. What's your poison? Please don't vape. That's just not cool, all right? If I can just drown, distract, or dampen my senses, this problem is definitely smaller. I'll have a little bit more of a sense of control. Why do we do that? You see, behind even the instinct to fight or flight is the reactive unconscious planning some proactive control, isn't it? And in these moments, we are pursuing, we are desiring security, we want a sense of safety, we got to react. And these desires find themselves culminating in a search for control. What do you do to feel a sense of control? What do you do to find a sense of control? How's that going for you? The Bible, my favorite book, you should read one. I'll give you one if you don't have one. The Bible has a lot to say about being in control. That's ironic, isn't it? I stuttered as I said, be in control. That's like I wasn't in control of my, sorry, I just, sorry, I'll just do my job. Stop commentating on my own brain. The Bible has a lot to say about being in control. It, has, it talks a lot about what to think when things feel out of control. It talks a lot about where to find peace in the midst of those moments where there is no control. It has a lot to say about the things that are your responsibility to control and what isn't your responsibility to control. So what I want to do with just the next few minutes, I want to teach you what the Bible has to say about our wiring for control and how it all went wrong. And then I want to invite you into God's plan for rewiring and give you a new perspective on control. And if we have time, I'd love to show you in Psalm 34 a case study of how David experiences a sense of this rewired control. And then I'm going to close with this punchline. Don't search for control. Search for him who controls it all. Go to Jesus. If you're podcasting, that's not pause for effect. We were just waiting for the Harleys, which you can't hear on the recording. The Bible has a lot to say about our wiring for control and where it all went wrong. 
Let me teach you some of the Bible. See, the basic overview of the Bible is it's all about God, how he is Basically, he's a father who is seeking out his beloved children to rescue them and to bring them back into safety, into the company and the comfort of home. But today we just need to begin with the first three chapters of the Bible to figure out where our desire for control has come from and what's all gone wrong. You see, those first three chapters will teach you about your desire for control and then why it all went wrong and why it's still broken today. See, the beginning of your Bible, it'll open talking about God saying, it'll say, God and God said. God created. And once God created everything, humanity, male and female, he goes, very good, very good. That is so good. And then he talks to the man and the woman that he made. No, he talks to himself as he's making humanity. And he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. That is, let us make God, let us make humanity a little bit like me, reflecting me, taking after my character. I'm just going to have a really unique thing in my creation. That when they look at that, you're like, what? You're like, you're like God. Little children that behave like their father. Family DNA of being clever and being creative and being kind. Not like the animals. Being clever, being creative and being kind. God creates these humans in his image, which means all of us have a propensity to be intelligent, soulful, eternal beings. We're created in the image of God. God is a creator. He's a creative. He has a, he's clever. He knows how to organize things. So we've inherited a little bit of our dad's quality in that, haven't we? We ourselves are going to know how to be creative, be clever, to control things and to set things up in a particular way. But that's not all. Not only do we have a, a sense of control and what that is in our DNA, we also have an instruction, don't we? We also have an instruction, a command from God. He said... To the people that he first made, he said, have dominion. Have dominion. Take control. Organize this that I've given you. Plan. Name the animals. Do that. Good. Organize the pantry. That's cultivate the earth. Good. Go forth and multiply. Fun. Uh, good. God is doing what here? Have dominion. What's that? Delegated authority. Delegated authority, isn't it? God is still boss. God's still in charge. But God at the beginning of time, he gives us some control, doesn't he? He gives us some control. So the first pages of the Bible, even before anything goes wrong, we learn that we were originally meant to be modest managers and cultivators under God's direction via his provision. We were originally meant to be modest managers and cultivators of all of this under God's direction via his provision. We all value control. No one wants to feel out of control. Why? Because our desire for control comes from our origin. 
We are originally meant to be modest, manage, modest managers and cultivators of all this under God's direction by his provision. So what went wrong? What went wrong? Because it went wrong. Have you noticed? So, well, it's screwed, man. Sorry, it's stuffed. We need to plant more churches. <sighs> what went wrong? Well, keep reading your Bible. Keep scrolling down. Turn the page. It tells us when and why and how it all went wrong and why it's still broken today. The frustrations we feel in relation to control comes from not our origin, but the origin of sin. Sin. In the beginning, the first three chapters of your Bible, it teaches us also of the first act of disobeying God. It teaches us about how our inclinations were subject to spiritual mutations to cause all of us now, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to recklessly rebel against God who made us, provides for us, and loves us. Sin enters the world and screws everything up. How did this happen? It's in the offer of the fruit, wasn't it? The offer of the fruit. Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the father of lies approaches Adam and Eve, the first humans on the stage of the world, and he says, you can be like God. Mm, you can be like God. You can be independent. You can be self-sufficient. You can be the master of your own destiny. You can have ultimate control. Be like God. Just follow this one-step program for self-sufficiency, and all it will cost you is your soul. Isn't it interesting that the one thing that both God and the devil is after is your soul makes you think how valuable you might actually be? We, humanity, we were off to such a great start, weren't we? Designed to be modest managers, managers and cultivators under God's direction via his provision. But because of Adam and Eve and their disobedience, their sin and the fall, sin enters the world that God had made. And he had said, very good. And now there is brokenness. Now the beautiful vase that was this world has been shattered. Left for all of us to walk around on these broken shards. And Adam and Eve, because they are the heads of the family tree to which all of humanity belongs, now everybody, everybody under them inherits their attitude, their outlook, and their sin. Everybody. And sin, what sin do? Sin's a dog. Sin's a skunk. It's not ideal. Sin ain't it, as the kids say. Why? Sin changes people. Sin makes us blind, deaf, and dumb to the truth and the true path in this world. We all behave like Adam and Eve, wanting to hide from God. Sin changes people. Sin deceives people deceives people, makes them lost. In longing for peace and life by its nature, sin will cause you to be everywhere and to look at everything except the face of God. Hell forbid 
that you hear God's gentle voice and enter into his eternal rest. Sin changes people, sin deceives people, sin distances people, separates us, separates us from God and from one another. Where does all of our relational tension come from in this world? Sin. Where do all our problems come from in this world? Sin. Why are people jerks? Sin. Why do you act like a jerk? Sin. It distances people. This is the travesty for Adam and Eve. Straight away, cast out of the garden, distanced from God's presence, not able to commune with him, to know his joy and to know his presence. No more long walks in the cool of the garden with the heavenly father. But that was the logical punishment, wasn't it? Think about from God's position for a moment here. God effectively saying to them, he's like, well, you want to be in control and be like God? You want to be the masters of your own destiny? Well, off you go. Off you go. Let's see how that goes for you. Hmm? It's like to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. He goes on to say, he says, Sin is man saying to God, leave me alone. And hell is God saying to man, as you wish. But let's not forget the worst aspect of sin. Destroys people. Destroys people. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. It's the flow on effect of what God said to Adam and Eve about that fruit. He says, don't eat it or you'll die. And they ate it. And the wages of sin is death. Which means if you're not freed from your sin, you will die. Without hope or life in this world. No matter how much you can control your life. No matter how secure you think you might feel. Even if you think you've got the blueprint and you're on track. Even if you're nailing the meditations and the morning routines and you're counting your macros. Even if you're consistent with the ice baths, the superfoods and the latest data and super contributions. Death will still get you. Ignore God as much as you want. The cemetery still proves that God's words are true. You can't control death. You can't control a lot of things. I still remember so clearly what a pastor friend once said to me, um, thinking about the sense of control in life. I can't remember anything else he said apart from this sweet line. He goes, in those moments of life where you feel most out of control, those are the moments in life that are the most real. Because the reality is we can't control anything. God's the one in control. So when we feel out of control, where should we go? Yes, we are wired for some sort of control. Remember, first three pages of the Bible, there's a wiring, wiring there. But you still got sin. 
that control is going to do. It's no good. That control that we were meant for was supposed to be in partnership with God, looking to Him. That control that we were wired for was so that you were meant to live a life reflecting someone that honours God, someone who fears and respects God, who takes refuge in God, who comes under His authority and dwells in His peace. We are meant to be reflecting God, taking after His character. We are meant to be His children who behave like His like their father. Children only worrying about controlling what their father in heaven says for them to worry about. But sin screws that, screws everything. Because of sin, our search for control often isn't in partnership with God, looking to him, rather than looking out for ourselves. Because of sin, our lives easily fall in and out and in and out of participation with God. Often, often we're feeling like we're on this on-again, off-again relationship. Because of sin, you can be too quick to reflect how the world behaves and looks and not what your father, and, and not reflecting your father and how he behaves and looks. Because of sin, so many people are just like children, but not God's children. Children locked in sin cages, ignorant to their captive state, powerless to find freedom, just playing games to pass the time. Sin. Have you felt any of these effects of sin in your life? Just me. That's okay. I'll keep preaching to myself. I'll stand in front of the speaker. Oh, preacher's gone. He's back. Do you wish you could be rid of sin? Do you wish you could be rid of sin? Like if you knew there was a fresh start with God today, would you take it? Do you know the story of the Bible? Just keep reading. Just keep reading. This is the second point that I mentioned. I want to invite you into God's plan of rewiring so you can have a new perspective of control. See, the Bible teaches that God had always eternally been very aware that we, his creation, would turn on him as our creator and that we try to take things into our own hands. He knew Adam and Eve would sin. He knew you and I would sin. And he knew that if he left the world and us up to our own devices, that actually, eventually, we discovered that we're crummy gods. The devil lied. And that the life of going your own way ain't that wonderful, despite no matter what the car ads tell us. See, God knew that we'd find ourselves in a place of powerlessness when it came to our realization that we can't do anything about it either. See, God knew that we'd need help. God knew that for that help to be a lasting help, a real proper fresh start, that he'd have to get rid of the sin. And God also knew that to offer that help, to get rid of that sin, to free us from that sin, to clean up that mess that we had made from our own little passion projects of personal control, God knew it would cost a lot. 
God knew that this job was big, really big. So big, it would kill him. God knew this, and he did this. Romans 5, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died. That's Christ, God the Son, died for the ungodly. Ungodly, that's you and me. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That penalty, that punishment for all that sin that Adam and Eve and you and I are responsible for, Jesus was punished in our place. The wages of sin, the price you have to pay for sin is death. And that's why Jesus dies. He dies in your place. It's worth reading. Isaiah 53. Surely he, Jesus, took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us had turned to our own way. That's We all like sheep have gone astray. We've each been running after stuff that isn't God going our own way. And the Lord laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. One Peter two, it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Why did he why why did he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter writes that to the churches in the dispersion, writes that to people that have put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. You were like sheep, but now you have returned. See, Jesus dies, with, dies for you so that you can live with and for him. We are all meant to live in participation with God, to be people who, like Jesus, die to sin and live for righteousness. Jesus has bought that and offers that to you. See, your life is meant to be someone who reflects and honours God, someone who takes refuge in him, who comes under his authority, who dwells in his peace. You're meant to be with the shepherd and overseer of your soul. 
Jesus buys you access back into that and offers that to you. See, If you know that you have never received Jesus before, or if you have someone that has just once before received Jesus and now you feel like you've strayed, or if you're someone that just wants to remember the new morning mercies of God, remember Jesus bought forgiveness and a fresh start and reunion with God on the cross. And every day he offers that to you. Now is the day of salvation, it says in the Bible. Now, what does all have to, that have to do with our search for control? What does that have to do with our search for control? Well, the cleansing of your sin, the cleansing of your sin is what brings you back to God. And this is the rewiring of the wrong to give you a new perspective of control. How does being set free from sin change your wiring? Remember how in this world, life so often gets crazy and chaotic? Well, when you're a slave to sin, you'll scratch around and you'll wrestle to find some man-made refuge in the storms of life. But when you've stepped out in faith and you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and know that you've been forgiven of your sin, the chaos of this world hits different. Hits very different. See, in those moments of life where you feel you're most out of control, those moments are the most real and they're the most valuable. They're wake-up moments because we know that we're unable to control anything and we know that God's the one in control. And so our perspective is so much better. We're just like, well... I'll go to him. I'm running back to him. He loves me and he'll protect me. And I can go to him. I'm washed. I'm cleansed. I've been welcomed home. I've got the key. I can, doors open. Dad's there at the table. It's set. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. I'm so good you're here. It's crazy out there, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're in the fortress of the Lord? Got some big decisions to make this week. Don't know how it's going to go. Well, we're not going to worry about what we can't control, are we? Because I've got that. I'll look after that for you. I, I imagine God saying that's not scriptural, but just give me some poetic license here. But without the poetic license, look at what the Bible says. Romans 8. Who knows that chapter? Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. Huh. He beat death. What do we got to worry about? And he's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. What's he praying? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
What sort of chaos or calamity will separate you from the love of Christ if you've received Jesus? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? Nope. Persecution? Nope. Famine? Nakedness? Danger or sword? No. But I am sure, this is Paul writing, verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, I hear that, amen, nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that, if you're a Christian here today, you're just like, yes! Or is that just me? Just, yeah! God loves the world. He gave up his son to take you home so that you might know peace. If you receive God's love, you'll be changed by his spirit. You'll rewire your heart and more and more every day you can practice a confidence in God's protection and provision for life no matter what happens. I'm still practicing this every day. I keep forcing myself to practice this every day. Not going to worry about that thing. Let God take that thing. Can't control that thing. Don't think about that thing. God can take that thing. God says to do this. This is good and godly and right and pleasing to him. I don't want to do that because what about, nah, -uh, not what about, you're not in control. Trust and obey. Let's see how that goes. Huh, turned out that was really good. Shouldn't have listened to the deceiver again, hey. Shouldn't have listened to my flesh. Shouldn't have given sin a foothold. We don't need to worry when things feel chaotic if we know God's got it. We are able to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus because he's awesome. And we can be obedient to God's guidance despite the risk. Risk. Because God's got us. We can lose our life for the sake of gaining Christ and being found in him. It's in Jesus Christ where there is peace, refuge, and security. We don't need to create our own through our ideal notions of control. It's the paradox of the Christian faith. Lose your life and find it. What does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Where are you today in your search for control? Can you say with confidence that you're a child of God? Because if you can, your search for control is to look very different to the way the world will tell you it should. Can you say with confidence that you're a child of God? Well, maybe you're not sure. There's some questions you can ask yourself if you're unsure. Questions can be good, force the truth into our heads until it gets down into our hearts. Sometimes it just starts in our hearts, explodes. Just, yes, I'm a child of God. I know it. I can't explain it. I know it. Joy, inexpressible, filled with glory. But we can just go bottom up, we can come top down. Let's go top down, ask yourself some questions. These are the questions that I'll basically ask those two legends that have been baptized this week. Basically these questions before we go, kablam! 
sorry, I don't say kablam. I say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then race in your life. And that's a, the Anglican way. Um, kablam is those non-denominational churches. Um, anyway, we digress. Can you say, can you say, I hate the reality that I have sinned and disobeyed God? Can you say that? Can you say, I acknowledge that there is nothing I can do to save myself from the punishment of my sin? Can you say that? Do you believe that? Can you say, I know Jesus to be the, as real and to be the Lord and Savior of my life and this world? Can you genuinely say that? Can you say, today, I'm doing my best and I'm leaning on God to turn away from my sin and look only to Jesus for the forgiveness from my sin and for the fresh start with God today? Can you say that? Can you say, in the act of baptism, I have professed my faith in Christ. I have committed my life to him in repentance and faith. And I'm daily pursuing the renewing of my mind through obedience to him, serving him all the days of my life. Do you want that? Can you say you're doing that? Have you said that? If you know those things to be true, you can look back to your first profession and you can go again on that same profession and you can be confident. Confident in God's control, confident in God's grip on your life, confident in your future, confident as you even face death. It's a sweet coming home. Or maybe, maybe you think that those things might be true but you're not quite there yet, not quite yet that for the open profession, not quite yet that for that baptism moment, not quite yet that, not quite there yet. If that's you, I would encourage you, pray, be honest with God, and then watch out. Watch out and see how he responds to your genuine asking him of, is this something that you're calling me to? see what he does in the weeks ahead. And then maybe we're baptizing you next week. Who knows? Love to. Be awesome. All right. I did say case study. Well, I've saved that for the prayer night tomorrow. Be there. We'll talk about David and how he in intentionally acted like a maniac. And then God set him free through no action of David. It's great. That's tomorrow, prayer night. I think we're better off, rather than stretching this thing out, looking to Jesus, drawing near to him and practicing the punchline instead. Everyone searches for control. Today you can have a new perspective on control. Here's the punchline. Don't search for control. Search for him who controls it all. Go to Jesus. I'm going to pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.